You're listening to Comedy Central. My guest tonight is a Democrat from Massachusetts serving in the House of Representatives. Please welcome Congressman Joe Kennedy III. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining, sir. How are you? Good, good to, to have you here. You. Um, let's get straight into the news because uh, oh, good. You, on your way here, things <laughs> happened. Uh, That's Donald not Trump. surprising and still terrifying. It is, isn't it? Yes. Every it single is. day, there is something new. Donald Trump came out and announced he is uh, looking at uh, creating the RAISE Act. Right, he's put, put forward uh, an idea that uh, Americans should only be allowed, or people should only be allowed to become Americans or come to this country if they are highly skilled, the best of the best, uh, predominantly English speakers, I think, was one of the criteria involved. Yep. As a lawmaker, you're going to have to vote on this at some point. What are your first thoughts? Um. <laughs> so I find, <laughs> I find myself doing that a lot these days. Right. Um, Trevor, it's where you, you would think at this point, how, how bad could it get? And if you were going to try to characterize it this way, could you possibly? And it just gets one-upped, right? right. So, <laughs> look, joking aside, um, the, the outlines of that plan, at least from as it's been described to me so far, is, I think, an insult to our American story. Look, it's not how my family came here. It's not how I assume most of the members of this audience, their family came here. It is not, from, from people that have been in other parts of the world that have undergone it and, and, and survived through oppression and wars and famine and, and hardship, to know that there's a place that you can come to where if you work hard, there are structures in place where you can get ahead. Um, we are taking that away. Donald Trump and, and the senators that put this bill together are literally slamming that door shut. Right. Um, and that's not who we are. That's not what makes America great. It's not... It's... it's It is once again, I think, yet another example of where the president and this administration have decided that somehow, for some reason, our country today is us against them. Whether it's an immigration policy, whether it's a budget, whether it's a health care bill, whether it's deciding that <laughs> who gets into college. Almost every single policy proposal you have seen come roll out of this administration from day one is pits American against American. And somehow, I mean, I think the part that's most dispiriting and dangerous for all of us is that that is in somebody's definition of making America great, that that somehow we are at our best when we are divided, when you are fighting with each other, when you mm -hmm. are trying to compete against somebody else to get to some zero sum game. And by you're succeeding means you're putting some other American down. And look, I, I just fundamentally don't believe that. I don't think most Americans believe that. I think there are real big challenges out there that we have to confront. But you do that, you win, when you get 320 million Americans pulling for each other and fighting for each other and knowing that we're not going to leave you apart. The, um, the truth is, there is legislation every single day that seems to be spoken about that goes against many of the values that America stands for. Um, you went viral a while ago, which is a strange thing to say to a human being, but you did. Um, <laughs> and it was when you were speaking out against uh, Congressman Ryan and his views on healthcare when he was saying there is mercy in not giving certain people what they need. 
and you spoke out uh, against it. Health care is one of the biggest issues that is facing America right now. The discussion around the Affordable Care Act and whether or not to repeal and replace Obamacare, and as we've seen, it's broken down many times. Realistically speaking, is there a way to fix what is wrong with Obamacare? Because it is not perfect. Everyone acknowledges that. But is there a way forward where both sides can come together and fix it? So the short answer to that is, yes, absolutely. Look, all of these structures that we have, the, the, the successes, whether it's been in the Affordable Care Act or the challenges that we have to it, there, believe it or not, there's human beings that pass those laws. We can change them. You can strengthen them. We could pass a tax reform proposal on the back of that napkin or the back of that paper if we right. wanted to. It's just a question of political will to say, okay, can we get behind it and solve this problem? And I think, look, every single one of the proposals we saw in healthcare, uh, regardless as to whether it was a couple of iterations through the House bills or the Senate ones of late, they decided every single one of them, while different, the, the underlying structure was the same. It created one system of healthcare for the healthy and the wealthy and another system for everybody else. And fundamentally, that's not, I don't, that's not who we are as a country. Um, you can go through the details of those plans, but what that means is that for some large percentage of our citizens, when you are at your most vulnerable, when there's a loved one that is sick, when it's somebody that is in need, when all of us at some point are gonna be brought to our knees, mm -hmm. that the most powerful country in the world says, too bad you're on your own. We will not be there for you. And that's, that's not a country at our best. That's not America at its best. And the bottom line is that every single, almost every single person that I meet, if their neighbor falls on hard times, they're there for them. Right. And you're asking, this administration continues to ask people to make up for their government. Um, people to try to say, hey, our government can't, but you're gonna have to. If you believe in, in the family down the street or the, uh, the, the child next door. Um, and so, look, where do we go from here? There's a lot of things that we can do. There's a lot of ways we can fix it. And I think you're starting to see some of those machinations. I would hope that if there's one message at the moment that this administration understands, it's like it or not, the President of the United States is gonna own what happens with healthcare. And he can try to put that off on somebody else, but he's got a unique opportunity at the moment to actually make our healthcare system in this country stronger and better for every single American. I really hope he takes it and doesn't somehow try to, as you're hearing off of Twitter, that he's gonna <laughs> somehow try to sabotage it for millions of people across the country and categorize that as success. We've, he's got a unique opportunity here and, and I'd urge him to take advantage of it. When, when, when you look at uh, the problems facing healthcare in America right now, one thing that cannot be denied is Medicaid expansion has cost uh, lots of money. And over the upcoming years and as the decades come, the cost will keep increasing. At some point, people say there has to be a cut, there has to be some sort of measure that brings it down. I, I mean, in Massachusetts alone, I think it is 40% of, of your, your, your spending. Um, and so when you're looking at that as an issue, how do you remedy that situation? How do you figure out how to cut the Medicaid spending? So it's a great question. Um, I promised my staff when I got in here today I would not get into the weeds of healthcare financing, so sorry. <laughs> um, I'll do my best on this. But look, the, the, the real thing that we need to do, you're right in that um, Medicaid expansion and Medicaid healthcare is expensive in this country. Right. The main reason why healthcare is expensive, and very well-respected studies say about a third of the costs in healthcare are just inefficient. They're, they don't get to a better outcome. Mm -hmm. 
It's based off of what's called a fee-for-service based model. It means that when you go in into the doctor, doctors and providers get paid based upon the number of prescriptions or procedures that they prescribe. Right. So they'll go in and say, hey, you should do this and this and this and this. And you don't mind because your insurance company's paying for most of it, so right. you don't pay that much, but healthcare costs go up. What you need to do is create a new system where the provider's actually compensated on outcomes, so the quality of care that's delivered to make sure you're actually getting better quality care. It means treating people in the right places, at home if you can, and in a doctor's office rather than an emergency room, and in community health centers. There's a whole sense of wraparound services that can be done to lower healthcare costs. The way you do that is you lean into programs like Medicaid to identify those individuals that actually are the big spenders in this and make sure you get those cost drivers and those individuals under control. And if you do that, you will save boatloads of money. You That's don't do that, though, by rationing healthcare. You don't do that by saying, hey, if you're sick, Good luck, go back to an emergency room. We tried that, and uh -huh. it didn't work. That's what this whole last couple of years has been about. If you, if you look at the people who are on Medicaid, some people have complained saying that uh, the issue they face with Obamacare, some people in your state would go, I earn just enough money to be considered out of the poverty back bracket. I'm considered a middle-class earner, and yet I am still too poor to afford Obamacare. I cannot get onto a program, but I'm also too rich to be on Medicaid. What do you say to that person who then says to you, why is it that an able-bodied person is on Medicaid? So the, the issue, one of the big issues we have in Massachusetts, and look, every, every state does this a little bit differently. Massachusetts, for those folks that say, hey, the Affordable Care Act doesn't work, our un unemployment rate is about 3.6, 3.8%. Our uninsured rate is under 3%. So we're doing pretty well. Right. We've got a, Medicaid is a large percentage of our state budget. But if you ask folks what the big problem on this is and, and why Medicaid is so big, it's because one, you've got a Medicaid product and an exchange products and competition exchanges and plans that people actually like. And our penalty, our mandate that you've heard a lot about is actually tougher than it is under the federal Obamacare. Mm -hmm. um, but what that means is that there's a stiffer penalty to not get insurance, but there's a better product if you get insurance. And that means that you've got more people that end up on uh, the exchanges, right. the state exchanges, than would happen in other states. Our governor, Republican, uh, very well respected, knows healthcare well, was a healthcare executive, is putting forth some plans to actually try to shift that back and work with the business community to try to make sure businesses aren't shifting people to the exchanges because the exchanges happen to be really good plans. Right. So there's ways you can go about this, sitting down, thinking the problems through, and not trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. There are plenty of problems in healthcare. Telling doctors that they get paid too much on Medicaid is not one of them. Trying to say that you're going to somehow address the issues of lack of continuum of care in rural America by addressing Medicaid, the way you address that, and yes, Medicaid has problems there, is increasing reimbursement rates, not cutting them, because there's no doctor there that will take Medicaid to begin with. Got it. So they've diagnosed the problem, much like a lot of things with this administration. They've diagnosed part of the problem. The solution is 100% backwards from what you actually need to do to solve it. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the... Um... Let's talk about solutions. Is there a willingness for a solution to be found? I mean, we watch Congress and it rivals the greatest traffic jams of the world. <laughs> you don't seem to see movement, people voting against each other, people voting politically as opposed to voting for their constituents, it seems like at times. We're less popular than traffic jams, actually. So that's an insult to traffic jams. <laughs> well, at least there's music playing in the traffic jam. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the appearance is that nothing can get done. 
as somebody who's on the inside, as a congressman, when you're working with your fellow congresspeople, do you find that there is a willingness for consensus? Do you find that people actually want to work together? Or are they so afraid of being primaried that they would rather appear to be enemies and not do anything than get something done? So the partisanship is real. Um, I'm not, you can't deny that. And particularly on the big things, healthcare, taxes, immigration. Um, I like how you pointed at me when you said immigration. Right. <laughs> healthcare, taxes, no, immigration. immigration. Right. But carry on, carry on. Um, <laughs> not gonna recover from that one, am I? Um, Thank you. Uh, so those challenges are real. Um, that being said, uh, look, there's, there are strong philosophical differences that underlie those issues, which right. we do have to work through, and we as a country have to work through. If you go a level down, there's a whole lot of issues where there is actually a lot of bipartisan support. You don't hear about it, you don't read about it, but that is part of the wheels of government that are cranking through. Uh -huh. I, I was able to get uh, a bill out of the House a couple of weeks ago that creates a over-the-counter category for hearing aids. Hearing aids cost thousands of dollars, for those of you that might have them, um, up to about $5,000 for a pair. Medicare doesn't cover them, so there's tens of millions of seniors that actually need hearing aids that mm -hmm. don't get them. Um, that bill made it out of the House unanimously, out of our committee unanimously, and, and out of the House. Um, Senator Warren is working with a couple of conservatives in, in, uh, in the Senate on making that, having, having that uh, version of the bill in the Senate. Um, that's a big deal for a lot of people that are missing conversations with their kids, their grandkids, uh, missing out on, on the golden years of their life. Right. Um, you probably haven't read about it, you probably haven't heard about it, but it's actually a pretty big deal for those folks that, that need it. Um, and look, some of my closest friends in Congress are Republicans. They're, they represent districts that are gonna be different than mine. The, the concerns that drove them to run for office are gonna be different than mine. They're, they're doing what they think is the right thing for their districts and their country. If they weren't, they wouldn't be there. Um, and I get along really well with some of them. And look, one of the hardest parts of this job is trying to separate um, the issues that drive you to, to run for office, which we all feel very passionately about, yeah. and understanding that for some of us, even some close friends of mine, they're gonna be on the exact opposite side of those issues. And trying to somehow separate the policies from the friendship can be difficult. But, um, you know, just, I guess, one quick example. Last, last week, um, we were in the middle of a hearing, um, and the guy next to me was in, uh, asking questions, and I was sitting there on my iPad, and I went like this, and I went like this, and a Republican texted me and said, hey, don't pick your nose, you're on camera. So that was helpful, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one way to work together, I'm sure. The American public it. is like, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that works for us. Um, I, hey, it, any little bit at this point. Every, yeah, and every that's little, not a every little bit helps, right? Um, before I let you go, let's, let's, yeah. let's talk about something that rocked um, America, its military, many people in Congress, and uh, surprisingly, both sides of the aisle. This is something many people agreed on. Donald Trump tweeted out, of the blue, transgender people are banned from the military. It didn't seem like he uh, consulted with his generals or with the Pentagon, rather, and everyone was in a hissy going, what on earth just happened here? Now, you have been working on a program with transgender people in America. Is this a real thing? Can it be a real thing? And should it be a real thing? Is it a real thing as of now? Not really. Could it be? Yes. Um, should it be? Absolutely not. And why not? Why not? Because... <laughs> It's not who we are as a country. It makes us, uh, our military, less ready. It divides us. Look, 
Our men and women in uniform, their families, they step forth and answer that call to service. They are willing to risk life and limb for us. They don't discriminate. They don't say, I will, I will lay down my life for you, but not you. I will serve you, but not you. What the President of the United States did last week on a tweet was to say, some of you don't count. Right. We are not going to honor that service. And didn't show them the same courtesy, the same decency, the same respect that all of them have done when they put forth uh, and answered that call to service. And Trevor, we hear an awful lot these days, particularly from many of my Republican colleagues, talking about freedom. Uh, freedom to do this and freedom to do that and, and freedom and inherent value of the United States. Those calls for freedom ring pretty hollow when this country cannot guarantee the most basic fundamental freedom, which is the freedom to be you. And if you can't be you, if you can't be you, the rest of it erodes pretty quickly. And look, there's behind closed doors um, and, and, and some right out in the open, um, even some of my conservative colleagues that are not as uh, staunch advocates as, uh, of the transgender community as, as some of us might be, said very clearly and unequivocally, this is not right, you cannot do this. Um, the statement from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said, we will not do this, we will not act on it until there's a clear directive and it right. falls through the, the, tradition, the, the appropriate policy channels, which is why I say it isn't anything yet, but it could be if the White House actually moves in that direction. But you saw him also say that they will continue to treat everybody with dignity until that happens. Right. And that statement of treating people with dignity, um, I think, is an important uh, reminder for everybody in our government, everybody in our country at the moment, um, that I think all of us could do a little bit, could do well to remember that. And I would urge the White House to do the same. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you, Thank you so much for being here. Congressman Joe Kennedy, everybody. I really appreciate it. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.